The Word of God is living. It is powerful, infallible, indestructible, incorruptible, and it will work mightily in me. And now, your host, Pastor Jerry Maya Williams, from the service already in progress. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Well, God bless you and good morning to everyone watching and, and tuning in to this worship service today. Let me be the first to say this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Beloved, before I get into my message, and today we're observing the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion, and make sure you have your communion supplies near you. At the end of my message, we'll go right into our communion service. But before I share my message with you today, one of the elders had asked me a couple weeks ago, if I would just take a moment, just take a few minutes and have the talk with the men of the church. And I thought about that. I said, you know what? Not only do the men of the church need to talk, but all of us need to hear the talk. What is the talk? Well, my mother and father gave it to me growing up. And they always warned me about my interactions with the police. And they warned me that if I acted up with the police, then the man in blue would beat me. It's a terrible thing when we live in a country and a society where those that have been sworn to serve and protect us are the very ones oftentimes we are afraid of. But here's what you need to understand. And here's what you need to impart to your children. You have to use the wisdom of God when you're interacting with the police. Now, I've had many interactions with the police over the years. I could probably count them on both hands and still need more fingers. But by the grace of God, I've never had an interaction with the police that went south. In fact, many of the police I had interactions with, they showed me the favor of God. They showed me grace. But that's not the case with every black person, particularly black men. We have black men in this country dying every day at the hands of police. Unarmed black men dying at the hands of police. And sometimes the only crime is the color of their skin. What you need to understand is who you are and where you are. First of all, if you are black, if you are a descendant of an African heritage, you need to understand that many times the odds are against you. You need to understand that going in. 
And sometimes it's happening not just to black men, but it's happening to uh, it's happening to American Asians, Pacific Islanders. And recently we've heard on the news how even Jewish people are under attack. Well, hate has no color. And hate does not discriminate. Hate is a spirit. But you need to understand who you are. Not only are you a black man or black person, you're also God's child. You're also a son of God. And so we must comport ourselves in a way that honors God. So it's important to tell our children that if you're pulled over by the police during the day, in the daytime, Make sure you keep your hands at the 10 and 2 position on the steering wheel. It's important to teach our young men that if you're pulled over by the police at night, turn the interior lights on in your, in your vehicle and have your hands visible where the police can see them. So many black men have been shot and killed by the police because the police thought their cell phone was a gun or their wallet was a gun. And you know, that's a fearful situation to have to live through. But understand where you are. You are a black person in the United States of America. Here's what we know about the United States of America. This country was incepted on the basis of racism. Racism was our first national sin manifested through slavery. And so the wharf and the wolf of this country, the very fabric of this country, is racist. So am I saying that America is a racist country? I am saying this. When you look at it historically, America is a country that is still recovering from racism. And the reason we're still recovering because there's never been true repentance. There has never been true repentance. There has never been an effort to really repair the damage done to the descendants of African slaves. And so when we interact with the police, we need to understand that the police that are recruited to serve on police forces, they're not recruited from other countries. They're not recruited from other planets. They're recruited from the citizenry right here in the United States of America. And so if this is a country rife with racism, then it's likely that people you hire in law enforcement are also going to have racistic tendencies. So you ought to know that going in so that you can conduct yourselves accordingly. Too many times we, we expect the police to serve and protect us. That's a nice motto, a nice slogan, but that's not the reality. Our criminal justice system is not set up to protect and serve you. It's set up to protect and serve policemen with what they call qualified immunity. In other words, the police can always almost get away with murder, and many of them do, and the justice system protects them. But your protection is in God. You got to put your trust in God. You got to use the wisdom of God. 
You can't lay your salvation down when you're interacting with the police. You must lean and depend and draw from the Holy Spirit within you so that you can have the wisdom of God and know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. It can mean the difference between life and death. You know, wisdom says, don't argue with the policeman. Use some wisdom and live to fight it another day in another way. But this is the country we live in. This is our reality. And only God can change that reality. And even if, with all the talk about reparations, you know, first it has to be repentance. We must repent of that national sin of slavery because the descendants of slaves are still affected by slavery. And after repentance, it has to be repair. That's what reparations is all about. Reparations is not to punish. It's never to punish. It's to repair. And we need to be repaired as a people. And so when you act interacting with the policeman, just remember all the bad things that's going to rise that cost somebody their life. And you might say, well, say their names. Well, you know what? Time won't permit me to say all the names, even if I can remember all the names. And the problem with saying the name, before the day is out, there'll be another name of an unarmed black person killed. So what we need to do is understand this is where we are, but you first and foremost have to understand who you are. And we must walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of our flesh. Because flesh says, fight back. Flesh says, don't let nobody talk to you that you like that. But the flesh is oftentimes driven by your own personal pride. And pride comes before destruction. So I'm telling you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And pray for this nation. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Pray for this nation and pray that the institutions would be changed, the laws would be changed to foster more fairness and equity for all people and especially minorities. But this is where we are. Now understand who you are and now walk in wisdom and walk in faith especially when you're dealing with the police. You know, a lot of people don't even understand the genesis of the police force. They don't understand the history of police. Why did this country ever develop a police force? Well, police were the, were the original slave catchers. Police were the original ones that prevented the Indians from coming back to claim the land that had been stolen from them. And so when you look at when you look at the inherent truth about police, many of those things still, they still exist today. That police are not really there to protect and serve. And there are some good police. Let's, let's be honest about it. I know I've encountered some good ones. There are some good police. But then again, there are also some bad apples. But until this nation has changed, from the top to the bottom, 
we're going to continue to have more incidents with these bad apples. So pray for our nation. Pray for the police. And parents, pray for your young men, your sons and your daughters, that God would give them wisdom when they're interacting with the police. Now, that's the talk. That's the talk. Now, this morning I want to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. And I want to read this as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion. In Matthew, chapter 26, here we see Jesus and his disciples at the Passover meal on the same night he would be betrayed on the night or the day before he would be crucified and down the cross. Matthew 26, verse 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, Listen to verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They went out to the Mount of Olives after singing a hymn. So here we see this picture of Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. He institutes the new covenant to say that this bread is my body, this cup of wine is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins for many. Why for many and not all? After all, Jesus died for all. But it was shed for the remission of sin for many, for the many that would accept his death, burial, resurrection. For the many that would accept him as Lord and Savior. Then Jesus went on to say to them, Pretty much you need to enjoy this drink, this fruit of the vine. He says, because from now on, I won't be drinking it with you until that day I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 19 about the marriage supper of the lamb where believers invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and there at that great banquet in heaven, We'll all drink from the cup again, but it will be a new cup. It will be even better wine. And at the end of the meal, everybody's undoubtedly had their fill. Everybody's feeling good about this Passover supper. But at the end of the meal, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. What is a hymn? A hymn is a song of celebration and praise unto God. 
But it's important to understand this. The meal was concluded by singing a song, a song of joy. Then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives speaks of a number of things. The Mount of Olives obviously is where they had a lot of olive trees. The Mount of Olives was was a hill or a mountain. And on the slope of that hill or the mountain, situated east from the city of Jerusalem, was a garden called Gethsemane. It's the same garden that Jesus would go to on the night of the Passover supper. And he would pray to the Father. But the Mount of Olives speaks of the Holy Spirit. The Mount of Olives speaks of, it speaks of light and illumination. It speaks of love and peace. And so when Jesus and his disciples concluded the Passover meal, they sang a song. And then they made their way to the Mount of Olives. And I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes, I want to talk about joy in communion. Joy in communion. You know, in the church of my upbringing, our communion services was always ended with a song of joy. I can remember my father, the pastor. I can remember his words. He would always say at the end of communion, he would say, well, quote, now we don't have a Mount of Olives to go to, but we can go to our homes and we can continue to have the joy of the Lord. And oftentimes we miss this in our communion services. We miss the the joy factor. We miss the singing. And I believe God wants us to to institute that in our communion service, just as it was in the Passover, just as it was at the end of the Passover meal. Now understand something. The Passover meal was observed by the Jews by singing from the Hallel songs. What are the Hallel songs? The Hallel songs were the book of Psalms from Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. And it it is believed that Jesus and his disciples sang from Psalms 115, Psalms 116, Psalms 117, and Psalms 118. It is believed they sang from these Psalms at the end of the Passover meal. During the Passover meal, they were singing from the Psalms during the meal, and they were singing from the Psalms after the meal. And I believe our our communion services is a type of Passover. It's a type of Passover celebration. So if Jesus and his disciples sang with joy at their Passover, how much more, how much more should there be joy in our communion services? So what is communion? What is communion? These things we need to understand, beloved, and not approach communion as a ritual, as some kind of form, as some kind of religious exercise. We need to understand what communion is. Communion 
is koinonia, not a memorial service. Now in the New Testament, the word koinonia, the same word used for communion, that word means fellowship. It means partnership, participation. It means social intercourse. But the one thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it was a solemn memorial service. We got to stop approaching communion like it's a funeral when it's a time of joy and celebration. It's a time of colonia. It's a time to fellowship with the very one that cut covenant with us, the very one who shed his blood, the very one who died on the cross for us, the very one who was raised from the dead. It's time to fellowship with him. It's time to participate in the truth of that covenant. It's time to say, Lord, we're your partners. The same way you and the Father, you're also in us. And therefore, we're in the Father with you. It's a time of, par of participation and partnership. It's also a time of social intercourse. In other words, you're feeling, you're feeling the relationship that you have with God. You're feeling it not just in your mind as a mental ascent or some thought, but you're feeling it in your heart. You're feeling in your heart that we are one with God. It's not a memorial service. Somebody say, well, who died? Well, Jesus died, but he's not dead. He rose from the dead. And we approach communion as if Jesus is still dead. I remember as a young boy in the church of my upbringing, when we have communion, the deacons will always be dressed up. And those serving communion would put on white gloves. And if they didn't put on white gloves, they would have a hand-washing ceremony before they served the communion elements. And they would stand around looking at the communion table with a white cloth draped across the communion table as if the same way you look at somebody at a funeral. You know, when you go to a funeral and you get there and before the recessional start, people are invited to come and view the body. And you know how we stand around the casket and we look at the corpse in the casket, that loved one, that friend. Well, people seem to have done the same thing in the church. They're looking at the communion table draped with a white cloth. And it's like they're looking at this cloth like somebody that's dead has been shrouded with this white cloth. Not so, beloved. It's not a memorial service. Now, Jesus did say, do this in remembrance of me. But he also said, proclaim my death till I come. Proclaim it. Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. And we as the people of God need to come alive during communion service the same way Jesus and his disciples came alive at the end of the Passover meal. So communion isn't a funeral. It's more like a wedding ceremony. I don't know about you, but I, I prefer weddings over funerals any day. You know, at a funeral, people are sad. People are sad. They're reposed. They're solemn. And oftentimes at a funeral, you hear that what we call funeral music that the organist is playing. 
making you even sadder. Communion is not a funeral. Communion is more like a wedding. At a wedding, the hearts and attitudes of people are more cheerful, more upbeat. And the bride and the groom, we rejoice with them as they exchange their vows at the altar in the presence of God and the witnesses. And it's a time of joy. It's a time of hope. It's a time of expectation that these people could live and have a good life together as husband and wife. The same way the bride and the groom exchange their wedding vows at a wedding, when we have communion, we're also renewing our vows. We're renewing our covenant with the Lord. So it's not a time to be sad. It's a time to be glad. Glory to God. Communion service isn't a repast. It's, it's not a repast, you know, where you eat and drink until your hunger is satisfied. No, Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians 10 when they were abusing the communion service, he told them that if any man is hungry, let him eat at home. Paul said he had heard that some of them were taking the communion and eating the Lord's Supper before others. When the word says we do it together. Then Paul was saying, and I also hear that some of you are getting drunk. They were getting drunk off the wine. So Paul says, what in the world is going on? Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? This is the Lord's Supper. This is about the Lord, not your stomach. This is about the Lord, not your buzz from drinking too much wine. This is about the Lord. You know, most funerals, not most, but many funerals, there's always a repast after the interment. You return from the cemetery and you have this repast and you celebrate by eating. In fact, the last funeral I, I went to, that's exactly what we did. And you know, you couldn't wait for them to bring the chicken out and the potato salad and you just couldn't wait. And you just ate and ate and ate. Well, that's the repast. But communion service is not the repast. I remember as a little boy that I wanted to get seconds. I wanted to get seconds on the bread and wine. You know, because I didn't have any breakfast. My mother didn't cook on Sunday morning. We always had a big feast after church. But you know, I found out you, can't, you couldn't get seconds. Huh? It's not a repast. Come on. That's not the purpose of communion to satisfy your physical hungry. It's, it's not the thirst. It's not the purpose to satisfy your thirst. It's all about a celebration of what Jesus Christ done for you and I on the cross. So it's a time of thanksgiving. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of proclamation. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Proclaim my death until he come. In other words, live your faith and live it as a witness that Jesus is alive and not dead. So communion is a time of celebration and joy. So here in our text, we see once again that Jesus celebrated 
the Passover with joy. Join us Sunday at Agape Word Fellowship, where Dr. Jerry Maya Williams is your pastor, proclaiming a life-changing message of the agape love and power that God is. For more information, log on now at www.agapeword.net. 1430 South New Hope Road, Agape Word Fellowship.